Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Choose Inclusion for our Black Voices Matter series. I am here with my best buds and co-hosts, Mike and Yubi. Say hi, boys. Hey, everybody. Thanks Good morning. Here. So Absolutely. today we're, we're uh, super excited to have our guest, Erica Gill, with us today. Erica, uh, uh, I think we've all met, uh, UB, Mike and I have all met her in different ways through the kind of diversity, equity and inclusion space in Denver. Um, she is a member of Elevate Change, which is a group of leaders at uh, startups around um, Denver that are really focused on bringing diversity, equity, inclusion into their organizations. She is uh, gonna be starting a new job at Checker uh, in uh, the next week, and um, she's got some great stuff to share about that. Um, but yeah, let's just start off by welcoming Erica. And you know, Erica, we start off with uh, asking all of our guests, just how are you feeling? You know, um, I'm tired. <laughs> I think that's been been said so many times in so many ways. But um, there there are so many factors that that come into the exhaustion, but Aside from being exhausted, I, I'm actually doing really well. And that feels strange to say in this environment because there's so much suffering happening in so many different ways and places. And I think that it's important to, <laughs> to, to do the best for yourself that you can in this time. And um, it's yeah it, it's it's been really really tough to kind of juggle that with you know positive life changes um i'm i'm really fortunate in in a number of ways to be experiencing that but overall seeing i mean seeing what's happening every day uh i just saw a new report of a lynching this morning and it definitely does take a toll um emotionally and mentally but mostly good how are you <laughs> Uh, personally, um, I have ups and downs every single day. Life is a roller coaster for me right now. Um, but yeah, that's that's me. What about you, Mike and Yubi? Yeah, it's you know, on the one hand, there's there's an aspect of of you know being fortunate, like you said, Erica. I mean, you know, work wise, um, I think we've all been focused on using our platform you know in any way we can to help start you know it started with covid and now um you know now it's it's focused on black lives matter and, and this i don't know it's just really interesting but good but and just trying to focus on doing what we can to help you know yeah i hear that how are you Mike? Uh, you know, I, uh, I've said it a couple of times on the, on the podcast with some of our guests, Erica, that my, my soul hurts. Like I, um, uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm Caucasian, so I've been told, um, however, I've been blind my whole life. And so I felt, um, you know, <laughs> on more than one occasion, uh, this thing of discrimination, however, I've never, um, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll use it just from an employment or a financial um, medium that the people with disabilities community are can share with, let's say, our African American uh, friends and colleagues. Um, but I've never had a police officer, you know, uh, place his knee on my neck. 
and intentionally um, kill me, right? Like, so it's a, that's something as a Caucasian blind guy that I'll never, um, more than likely never have to face. So my, um, so the empathy that I feel, it only goes so, can only go so far, but my soul still hurts because I, you know, um, the, the, why we come together from choose inclusion to really, uh, bring voices, um, within the business community, uh, like as a, as a, as a lever, as a medium, as a vehicle, because, uh, you know, financial empowerment, economic empowerment is one of the greatest ways to elevate, um, any community. And so, um, the, the opportunity to leverage this, this, this podcast to talk to amazing individuals like yourself to hear, you know, what's going on, how we're doing is, I think is, is, is been therapeutic in a, in a, in a grand way for me, because it, uh, you know, to, to be able to just ask that question, how we do, how we checking in with each other, our, uh, the co-hosts and, and our guests, it's been, um, it's been helpful, but uh, at the end of the day, my soul hurts. I think that's really valid. I mean, one of the one of my favorite things about this time is that people who never would have had a personal connection with with issues like this are are feeling that empathy. And if and and not to say that empathy is has been wholesale lacking, but I mean, in such a structured, intentional society that has perpetuated all of these injustices for so many hundreds of years. Um, to finally have people hear you is, I, I can't, I can't really un overstate that enough. This is the first time in my life that I feel heard. And then I feel that every aspect of my life is, is not going to be subject to, you know, gaslighting or being shouted down. So that that's really valuable. Um, I think for a lot of people that there are a lot of, of people of color, um, black and indigenous voices and and allies that have been just called crazy you know called radical and and dangerous and and we're finally in a place where our, the the experiences and the knowledge that we have can can benefit society if if we are being heard so i appreciate i appreciate this opportunity to have my voice uplifted um for whatever positive benefit i can bring Absolutely. Um, you know, and I think it's really interesting. I, I think I, I love the fact that you're you're feeling more heard now than ever. But um, I was hoping you could just dive into that a little bit more, because I think one of the big barriers we see is that the ways we communicate are just really different depending on context, our culture, um, you know, where we come from. Um, you know, I was wondering if you can just kind of talk about that a little bit and talk about like what what was true before, what's changing now, what what can be true about the future. Sure. Um, so personally, I am, I am half black and half white. I was raised by my, my white mother and my stepfather, who's also white and, um, and, you know, younger siblings who had, had no idea what it was like to be a person, a black person. And, um, I'm, I'm very much the kind of person who, has always been pretty outspoken. And um, I think that, I think that one of the, one of the positive things is, is when I talk about my experiences, 
Um, when I talk about microaggressions, microaggressions, I think, are, are really interesting in that you can't prove to someone that, that it happened to you. You can't prove that um, you are going, that you're going through discrimination or racism. And, uh, and, and I tried, <laughs> I spent a lot of time trying and um, it's been difficult to not be believed when I ask someone to listen to an experience I had, or there's, there's often also this doubt that creeps in after, you know, the umpteenth time of telling someone that you experienced something that made you feel um, excluded or, or discriminated against and have them tell you that your experience was not what you perceived. So especially when it comes to, to race issues and especially when it comes to talking to someone who hasn't ever experienced that type of microaggression. Now that's not to say that we don't all experience microaggressions. And I think that's one of the really great things about how, how styles of communication are being adapted to talk about these issues. Um, I really think that one of the, the, the most effective ways of getting someone to hear your experience is by comparing it and this isn't always going to work well, but um, or really even be fair. But um, you know, I, I think that white people experience, especially women, um, experience microaggressions frequently. So being able to tie that experience into something that a black or indigenous person of color um, has experienced can really connect that injustice, I guess, in in someone's mind, and and it has like a, a more emotional connection. But it is difficult because, um, and this is something I'm really passionate about. I, I really think that being able to hear someone through their emotion is very important. And there's there's a lot of emotional bias, especially in professional culture, very prevalent in certain social cultures and, and just really trying to break into a, a different group that doesn't communicate the way that you do to be heard. So being the anger that is being expressed and felt by so many people in, in the United States and around the world right now is being listened to for the first time. And, and that's amazing because I, I attribute this mostly to, to I guess like a, a more of the historical kind of, uh, you know, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant um, cultures that being angry or being loud and direct and forceful and being destructive is is so taboo and it, it almost comes down to um this this paralysis where you express an emotion and you cannot be heard because of that emotion but just because i'm angry doesn't mean i'm not saying something important and just because i'm angry or just because you know people are feeling destructive in in whichever you know way that you can think about it, I mean, destructive to the status quo, destructive to a statue of Christopher Columbus, destructive to, you know, a system that's been in place for hundreds of years, that doesn't mean that you're not saying something important or that you're not doing something important. So I really love that different voices and different methods of communication are, are being heard. And there's, there's just so much work to do in order to make this understanding felt universally.
the work you're doing, um, so you're, you're going to this organization called Checker. You talked about, you know, they're, they're a background check organization. Um, I, I love your, your conversation that we were having earlier about why you chose Checker and what, what's, what's, what's the impact there, especially on what's going on right now. Absolutely. Yeah. So Checker is, is a mission-based organization, and I like that. Um, I'm very excited to see. So, so one of the things, Checker is, like you said, a background check company. And um, there are so many barriers to entry for people who have negative records um, or, or, you know, a criminal history or uh, bad credit even. Um, and, and so one of the things that I think is really great about Checker is they have an internal committee. It's volunteer-based. It's called Bounce Back. And what they do is create opportunities for people who have um, less than stellar records and, and give them the, the tools and access they need. And um, that access is so important because the, the incarceration rate in the United States, especially among Black men, is very very high and this is an this has been an issue that's been ongoing for 100 over 100 years and but more specifically once once the war on drugs really kicked off um what what we've seen is a million different ways that black men specifically but overall it's overall a systemic societal issue so many more than many more identities and, and marginalized groups are being affected by it but i think that i think that the awareness that we have a a broken prison system as what, what do they call it a uh, uh, preschool to prison pipeline um in the u.s that it's a reality and that that it's specifically a company that which might otherwise create a, a barrier to entry for some people ha is working um to negate that in some ways is is really powerful to me and i think that i mean i can go on about this issue for hours i think that there there's just so much work to be done in dismantling a system that creates incarceration and that the exploitation of prisoners is is dismantled as well is really important i mean i saw a list yesterday of companies and products that are um that are built or created through prison labor, which is in effect slave or indentured labor. I mean, it's it's not overstating it to say that this is this is a, a form of of unpaid labor that is being exploited um, by capitalism and commercial interests. So I'm really excited to be able to make a difference in that space, and um, I'm really I'm really interested to see how how this industry um, and, and a company that is aware and is working progressively to kind of counteract some of the more negative aspects of the industry is making a difference. So really overall very excited to get involved and get to work. Um, and I also am very excited to come into a team. I, I They invited me to come to an offsite, a remote offsite. They did Chopped, which was really cool. So a few people, I think there were four participants and they given a challenge and they produce really great looking food and it was it was a great overall experience for me to come in to such a welcoming environment and the team is pretty diverse which is really great um coming from 
industries and companies that were overwhelmingly not. And um, I really like seeing this kind of this kind of progress happening in, in the workplace where it's, you know, I would say almost more difficult to introduce change than in, in social circles and social environments. Erica, what do you think is, you know, right now there's just so much, um, I don't know, buzz, like people are talking about it, right? Like this is a, it's an opportunity for a big change in the country. I, I fear that as soon as the buzz goes away, you know, everyone already did their change their Instagram photo and <laughs> you know, did their, their keyboard activism. Um, did, how do you think we can make sure that this actually continues to stay a conversation that it's not just something that's another fleeting thing and then we move on with our lives, but like recognize that we've got to make the, like, how can we, how can we continue to make sure this continues to move forward and action continues to happen? I mean, I think that what, I think that this environment, what you all have done in, in uplifting voices is, is a really great step forward. Um, I think just refusing to stop talking about it is, is another really important step. Um, I will say that I, it is, it's a concern that I have. Uh, when will this zeitgeist fade and will the conversation be buried again? And, and will people who don't experience these, you know, daily, the daily discrimination or microaggressions will, will they be continue to be heard? And I mean, I'd love to think that the momentum in the conversation and the allyship that we've seen as a, as a black community will continue. It, it's such a, it's, it's, it's a really kind of tough kind of prediction, I guess. I, I would love to see this momentum continue. And I think that social media actually has been really great in that because there are so many voices that are just pumping out insanely good content um, and historical context. And I think that the education part of it <clears throat> is going to make a lasting impact just given, I mean, I learned just yesterday from a post about, you know, uh, racist language. I, I'm, I studied English literature in college. I'm a writer. I'm obsessed with etymology. And I learned a new, I, I learned that calling a spade a spade is actually, actually has very racist roots. Um, so, and in, in, in that it objectifies black people and, and that was a sort of dog whistle for how to talk about a black man at, at a point in our country. So I think that understanding that we are all going to continue to learn and that there is there is so much to learn is really important. Um, but these movements are long. And I think that's something that really needs to be reiterated. And I've tried to reiterate in any conversation I've had recently is like, this is a long fight. It's been fought by, by people of color for centuries. And it's, it's now that the world is sort of waking up to it, we, we need to kind of slow, slow down, not, not slow down in, in momentum and action. Direct action is so important right now, but slow down our, our sort of innate response. Because I think that we, a lot of us have this, something bad happens. And the first thing you want to do is fix it. You want to run out and, you know, do something. And it can be really frustrating to realize that 
in this situation, that's that's just not going to solve the problem. This is a, a very deeply entrenched systemic issue, and it's baked into every aspect of our society, from education to you know employment to uh, uh, I, I mean it's it's everywhere. So 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 being being kind to yourself in this moment when you feel that that pressure to solve the problem is really important. I mean, if you look at other movements, uh, you know, Ferguson, people were out there for, I, I wanna say, I think, and I could be wrong, but it was it was hundreds of days. Um, the the bus protests in the, in the 1950s, 60s, uh, right before, um, right after Rosa Parks refused to get off that bus, those, those bus boycotts lasted for a really long time. And so in a society where everything is instantaneous and where we, we see issues and we demand justice quickly and it doesn't come quickly, I think that we really need to kind of let go and let the work do be done in, in whatever speed and whatever depth and breadth it needs to be done. So the fight is long. And, and I think that we, we talked a little bit about, you know, mental health and self-care earlier. That's really so important right now because this is, this is ongoing. This is not going to be solved in the next few weeks, the next few months. This upcoming election cycle is not going to be the be all end all of, of dismantling racism in America. That's just not the reality. And it's depressing. It's very, very, very disheartening to know that, you know, the movement started George Floyd's, um, the first protests were I think May 27th. So it's only been a few weeks and it, it feels like the longest few weeks, but this is this is a movement that needs to perpetuate for years to come. So um, I think that allies and, and black and indigenous and people of color need to take care of themselves and, and be kind to themselves in this time but not but don't don't give yourself permission i guess i i i this is a really it's a really difficult topic right like we we have this desire to do and fix and help but there's only there's so much helplessness in the world and i think that helplessness is frustrating and people it makes people want to divest themselves from the movement and if you have the privilege to do that i think more than anyone else that's when Buckling down for the long haul is important. So hard to do. Well, Eric, I appreciate I, you say I that. Love... Oh, yeah. Go ahead, Mike. Sorry, Ubaldo. I was gonna say, uh, yeah, the the, the bus uh, boycotts lasted, uh, you know, uh, well over a year. I think it was eighteen months, going on two years. And I go back to, uh, you know, those peaceful protests that had economic financial impacts. And they, again, it's such a powerful instrument that works um, for you, even when you're using it against a, you know, an organization, a, an entity, a government, you know, whatever that looks like, you know, we, um, I think that sustained uh, energy is something that uh, is, is as absolutely needed to realize like, okay, I, and we're in such this 24 um, it's not even 24 hour. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, you know, there's 86,400 seconds in a day. And I guarantee you there's something, uh, emergency oriented every one of those seconds and every day 
And I think we we have almost this attention span um, of a second by second nature anymore. And this kind of a topic needs to have that sustained um, energy with 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 really focusing on you know financial and economic impacts to organizations. If you want entities, large institutionalized entities, to change, uh, we, we've got to gather up not only our voices but our buying power. We need to be more informed about, you know, just the, the organizations that are that are using indentured uh, uh, servants from the justice-involved community. We need to know which organizations are truly like walking the walk when it comes to hiring African Americans and other uh, people of color. Like we we need to get that kind of information out there, and then we need to use our wallets as an instrument to truly have the sustained impact. That's a great point. Um, I think that there there are obviously going to be like stages and phases of how this movement really makes an impact on on industries that you mentioned. And I think conscious consumerism is is a great step in the right direction. Um, the one of the the harder things about that is that the is that and and this is me you know i i try to refrain from from letting comrade erica out but capitalism is 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 an, a, a fundamentally exploitative mode of of commerce and i think that one of the one of my favorite things about this time is is how many people have have reached out for Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s words and and thought leadership on this topic, because I think it tends to get swept under the rug when we're talking about racism and injustices. Um, Dr. King was a pacifist, which is something that I've identified as for the majority of my life, and it's really come into question recently because there are so many systems that are just so pervasive. And I think that, I think that Dr. King's thoughts about and, and writing and speeches about capitalism in this time are really important. Um, I think that, I think that acknowledging that the system has a top and a bottom and, and how that funnel works is so necessary. That understanding is necessary in order to combat the injustices inherent in it. Um, that's not to say that I think that the United States will ever fully move away from capitalism. I, I, I think it's too entrenched in the, in the American identity, but acknowledging how that identity perpetuates injustice is so important in this time. So whenever I hear someone talking, especially in regard to the protests about Dr. King, that's such a missing element of the conversation. And I do think that that the first step needs to be the awareness. And I think cons and conscious consumerism is, is an important first step. I think that the companies that are perpetuating these injustices need to be held accountable can they be held accountable under the system is, is the kind of rhetorical question that's that's been circling around in, in, in my mind um, in, in a society where everything from our, our taxation laws to, you know, uh, how 
how law enforcement exists to protect that that wealth and industry is it's really it's really important to understand how that framework all all functions together and and how interconnected these different systems are it's it's such a tough conversation to have because the threat to to what for many people who who have that privilege is a comfortable livelihood it, it's it's really it, it gives you that sense of insecurity that I think a lot of marginalized communities feel um, and, and that lack of access that marginalized communities still have. I mean, Dr. King that was was working in Illinois uh, to correct, you know, the, the housing inequality and inequity that was happening in, in, in Illinois in the 60s. And you there's video. <laughs> I mean, the protests that they they put on and the, the amount of backlash that was felt is it, it's wild to me because you're watching this this video footage from the 1960s. I mean, my parents were alive then. My grandparents were very likely on my mom's side at least perpetuating that that systemic inequality and and it goes i mean it's not just the real estate industry obviously i mean but it's still happening there there was a lawsuit very recently i want to say in like 2017 in which a community was found to have been like just very obviously discriminatory against black home black home buyers so this conversation is and it's difficult because you kind of have to meet people where they're at not everyone is going to be as aware of 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 these different many different arms of injustice so we're starting the conversation with law enforcement and i really think that in that way companies can be heard and be loud and speak up the, the thing that concerns me about that is how much of it is performative and how much, and, and this kind of goes back to the point I was making earlier about communication and how uh, colonized it is, is, is that so much of what's happening right now is, is lip service, it's performative. And, and, we're, and we're talking about this in June as well. So it's Pride Month. And there have been a lot of conversations in, in the past about rainbow capitalism and how putting a logo, putting a rainbow logo up for a month is not doing anything for the LGBTQ plus community. It's, it's lip service. It does nothing. Um, the, the companies that are doing this could still be, you know, actively discriminating against their, their LGBTQ plus employees. So then when we, we shift this framework back to to how black people are affected by these companies, I mean, I... I would, I love to see CEOs speaking out about Black Lives Matter. That's fantastic. The, I think that's a huge step that people don't understand. Just getting a white person, especially a white person with a lot of money and influence to say Black Lives Matter helps to dismantle that, the, the anti-racist, or sorry, the anti-anti-racism mindset. But then you also think about, I mean, like what is, what is speaking, speaking out is important, but like what else is really being done? I, I would love to see more more direct action than just you know. I mean, Flint painted a Black Lives Matter um, statement on on a road, which is looks great. It's a great, fantastic photo op. Tourism hopefully goes up, but Flint hasn't had clean water in their in their marginalized communities for what five years now. It, it's it's performative and it doesn't actually make any change. And so. 
that's been the hardest part of this is like, it's what's loud and what's most impactful is actually not really helpful. So I would love to see more companies reaching out for guidance from the people who've been doing this work for years and, and asking them what, I mean, and, and we saw this also with COVID is it, it, there were so many campaigns that I saw of, um, of like grocery stores and, um, you know, uh, service-based companies that would, you know, say, we, we appreciate our essential workers. We, we like you guys. You're great. You're doing a great job. You're keeping us afloat. But the amount of money, those campaigns, I mean, there was a billboard a block away from my house. I live on off of Colfax, which is a main drag in Denver. And there, there was a Safeway billboard that said, we think our employees. Now, I don't know what the going rate for that billboard is in Denver, but I can guess it's probably well over $20,000. How, how much of that, how, how impactful would that money have been as a bonus for your essential workers rather than a billboard that makes people mm -hmm. think a certain way. So I, I really encourage people to be very critical and really examine the impact that, that these kind of toothless gestures are making because it, it may make someone feel good. It may have the the benefit of you know the person in marketing who got to design it they they made a huge statement and impact but it's not actually helping it's not actually moving this movement forward at all yeah i there's so many amazing things i love how this here's what i learned by listening to you today erica i think you know kind of what you're saying is yeah you know this this is a fight and it's something that we all need to be a part of and in, in a way that we can, you know, it, it can't be these performative social media type posts with no, no meat behind it. And I, I think the really important thing that, and I, I think people might feel guilty about, um, is the part about taking care of yourself, right? Because this is a fight and it's important that we're all as healthy as we can be for that fight. Absolutely. And so, you know, take, yeah, like, like taking time to take care of yourself in the middle of that fight, it's an, that's okay. Absolutely. Mentally, physically, yeah. emotionally, right? Yes. And, and I would encourage, especially, and, and I don't think that many people have said this, and I think that maybe not everyone will agree with me, but it's a personal opinion. But I think in this time, especially allies, I, I mean, I've seen people burning the candle at both ends because they feel that pressure and that, and that uh, urgency to do something and do the work. And that is so great. It's so important, but you know, Again, this kind of, I, I'm sorry to keep bringing up capitalism, but it's so pervasive in our culture to work yourself to the point of, of a breakdown. It's, it's not sustainable. And so, right. so really, I mean, making sure that the work you can do can be done is very important. Now, I, I would never want anyone to hear me say that and, and be like, cool, I have permission to stop. I have permission to- right to go silent. I put up my black square. I'm done. Um, that 
that's not what I'm saying. What I, what, what I would encourage everyone to do is to just be kind to yourself as much as you can. And I can't imagine, I mean, actually that's not true. I can't imagine how hard it is to wake up in a world one day that, that hasn't actually fundamentally changed much at all. But all of a sudden you're seeing all of the, the, the curtains been drawn back and you're seeing the depth and breadth of these, of these injustices and you're shocked and you're, it's, there's almost a, a, a bit of grief, I think, that is appropriate in this time. The world that you thought you knew doesn't exist and you can grieve that. That's absolutely okay. But what I wouldn't encourage anyone to do while they're taking care of themselves is to, to minimize the impact or, or, I guess, center, center the pain and grief you feel when the pain and grief that has been felt for so many hundreds of years is coming to the forefront. And I think that's really, it's a really difficult thing to do, right? Because um, and it comes back to another societal um, sort of, uh, I guess, mode of communication in which, in which feelings are so, so sacrosanct. And, and I'm seeing a lot of of uh, uncertainty and fear and discomfort being centered over the narrative that is injustice right now. So it's, it's such a tough kind of balancing act between taking care of yourself and doing what you need to do and, and really continuing to live your life, but also making your life and your experience and your work centered around justice. It's so difficult. And so acknowledging that difficulty is really important. Taking care of yourself and your community is very important, but also keeping that narrative as, as front and center as possible. And, and that juggling act, I, I mean, I don't think any of us can overstate how difficult it's been for any of us, but um, I have a personal well, experience. Well, none of us. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was, I was just going to say, none of us have been, have done, like none of us have done anything like this before like there's there's no going back to normal there's no going it, there shouldn't be and i think that's the realization that we're all having to come to grips with Absolutely. is that we're on a path of absolute change where nothing should be normal again yes and 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 really understanding that that the what is what was normal was not benefiting everyone sorry my dog just sneezed all over my laptop um <laughs> understanding that 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 the what was normal was harmful is so important and, yeah. and there's so many resources and and that's kind of the, the been the frustrating thing about this situation is that i am i'm so fortunate to have people who respect my voice and opinions and and my lived experiences and my education who come to me for guidance and i've tried very very hard not to turn anyone away uh, but at the same time i also haven't provided the most or best guidance to them because I, I just don't have the capacity to do so at the moment. And, and it, it, it's hard, I think, for a lot of Black people in this time who have been speaking about these issues for so many years to do that. But I would also say that in this time, there, the, the amount of resources and the ease of access for those resources is, is, better and more robust than it's ever been before. So I encourage people to take those first steps on their own. And I know that you you feel like you're swimming into a, a dark sea where you don't know what is real and what isn't. So I, I definitely encourage people to look for those voices that can guide you in an effective way, even if someone like myself may not be the right person to do it in that moment. Um, 
there have been a lot of people who have been very vocal about, you know, leave black people alone right now. <laughs> and and uh, I, I think Rachel Cargill actually um, is someone I, I recently started following on social media. I've been aware of her work and she's fantastic. She has this program called Unlearn where she teaches people how to really identify those those very pervasive little things that you wouldn't be aware of. And, and I think of it, it's a kind of a more gentle approach than, than what I would give because I'm someone who's very, is very direct and very tired and frustrated with this idea that I've been screaming about this my whole life. So now that I'm being heard, it, it's, it's, it, it is a little frustrating. I, I had a, a really uncomfortable exchange with someone from my hometown who I'd gone to school with who was like, why can't you just help me instead of attacking me? And and, and I really, that, that, was, that was a moment. I, and I, I can personally identify because I, I was raised with so much privilege. I, I don't pass and I've never passed, but I was raised by white people in white communities. I've had a lot of privilege and access. And there, there, there was a time in my life where I had to confront my own ignorance and confront my lack of action and, um, and really examine how, my, uh, how I as a black woman engage with the world and engage with the suffering of other people. And so having done that, I, I do have a lot better, I think, insight and in, into what's going on in the minds of, of people who, who've been sheltered from these issues. And it's, it's jarring and it can be very uncomfortable. But I think that if there is a moment where your, your discomfort makes you want to step back from the suffering and death that is being experienced by marginalized communities all over the world. Not and, and it's happening in your backyard as well. I, I really, I really think that anyone who who feels fully insulated from it is is just not paying the right kind of attention. And I do think that in a lot of cases, learning how to do that needs to be guided and it needs to be kind of kickstarted by other people. But it's it's such a tangled concept. And, and so even, even in this conversation, I think I'm trying to center a different perspective than I have to, to engage, to connect. And so, and that's something that I've had to learn to do. And it really does tie back into communication style and, and how to break through to people. And so, and I'm willing to do that. I, I think it's important to do. Um, but I would never chastise someone for not being willing to do it or not having the capacity to do so. So I really love, I really love this forum. I love that choose inclusion exists and that black voices are being uplifted. And I hope that, I hope that it's beneficial. I hope someone is, is, has, has had a, an epiphany of some kind or, or find something beneficial in, in fighting this long, tedious fight. Um, through my, my ranting, <laughs> I, I, no, not at all. <laughs> no, not ranting at all. No, you, this, this is really amazing. You touched on a lot of, um, really important things that we haven't heard yet. And I, um, I, I can tell you, I mean, even just the three of us, like the, the benefit, uh, what, what I've learned and how I've just been able to open my eyes just by listening to you and to our other guests like it's that that's what's going to drive change i hope and um so i can't thank you enough erica so great to catch up with you um to hear you to see that you're you're doing good um and just know that we're we're here for whatever you need 
I really appreciate that. It's it's really it's, it's something. It's 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 a big thing. It's a really big thing, and I appreciate it a lot. This this has been such a strange, nightmarish time, but there the positive, and I think I mentioned this when we first started this conversation, I just feeling heard and it, it's validating in a way that I didn't know I needed. Um, so I, I thank you for that. <laughs> um, and anyone well, who thank you for, <laughs> well, thank you for being vulnerable. Thank you for being, uh, you know, really, um, like you, you have, you've touched on a lot of points, Erica. So thank you uh, for this learning moment and, and for your time. Of course, very, very honored that you brought me on. And thank you everybody for listening. Um, please keep tuning in to chooseinclusion.com. Uh, we've got um, some more great black voices that we're listening to and we're gonna keep doing this for as long you know, as, as it takes to to see the change that we keep talking about. So thank you all very, very much. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Nina. Uh, thank you, Erica, again. Take care, everyone. Bye, guys. Bye.